and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at austinarttalk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events, and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests, along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. Elizabeth Chapin is a figurative painter who, as she says in the interview, is mainly interested in exploring the inner life and essence of the subject she paints, employing color as an emotion in a masterful and intuitive way. Her most recent exhibition, Deconstructing Nostalgia, consists of pieces created over two years and is in many ways a departure from her previous work. The subjects, materials, and scale are all part of an exploration of herself and issues around being a mother, her upbringing in the South, and how to live a conscious life of continued awakening. Here is Elizabeth. Well, thanks for being on my podcast, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. I think, I actually just realized this, in this exact space, I think is the first place I had the idea for this podcast. Oh, really? Oh, I remember that. Yeah, because I was here, I don't even know how many years ago, it was like over five, five, six, seven years ago, Mm -hmm. photographing you. Mm Mm-hmm. And we had this wonderful conversation. We talked and talked and talked and talked. And I was just like, man, I wish I had recorded that so I could share it with somebody. <laughs> that is so funny that I just realized that. Oh, that's funny. I always think of that portrait series of artists in their studios as kind of like podcast mm. version one. Mm, mm. And it I was like, like that. And it was like an excuse to connect with artists and spend time with them. Even if I didn't know them, it was like yeah. a reason to approach them and, yeah, you know, something legitimate. So anyway... Yeah. So thanks for that conversation. Sure. I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> That's why. I was like, we should have recorded it. But uh, we have well, another chance now to record chance. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you came up on my radar because you just had an opening and you have your work up at Wally Workman right now, your new series, Deconstructing Nostalgia, mm-hmm. which I just saw. Uh, I just came from the gallery, and it's really cool. I mean, it's just, wow, such a a departure from your regular work in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. I don't know. How are you feeling about it? It feels like, I mean, I imagine it must feel super risky to just kind of like really experiment out in the open and try new things and share them with the world and kind of like do something so different. Yes, it feels very very vulnerable. Ah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, This shows super personal. So I've been working on it for two years and it, I started thinking about it when, um, Dana Schutz did that painting of Emmett Till for the biennial and it caused such an uproar. 
And I was thinking about, because I was thinking about as a Mississippian and with now Trump in the office, like what was mine to do? You know, what, because I have such a history of like doing commission work that if like no one's asking me to paint their portrait, what is it that I really want to do? What is, or what what do you want to say? What do I want to say? What do I want to paint? And when she, Dana did that, I, I just felt very conflicted about it because I think on one hand, it's something that needs to be talked about. And I think it's a conversation worth having whether her exposing trauma that's not hers is okay to do. But also, I think that's a legitimate conversation to have. And I don't know what the answer is. But I also don't also feel like she brought a lot of conversation to that story that happened so long ago, but what it made me start thinking about is how I grew up in Jackson, yeah. how I went to da- uh, on a date with a guy in Sumner, Mississippi, which is where Emmett lived or where he was for that t- summer. And I remember driving to that crossroads and going and spending the night at this guy's house with his parents. And I didn't even know that story. Mm. I didn't know that story. So there I was in Sumner, you know, I didn't know anything about that. And I think... You know, to have a year of Mississippi history where we don't talk about the civil rights movement, you know, mm-hmm. where you continue to hear things like the civil rights, you know, wasn't what this person said, or even people, you know, that you love that are in your life say, well, you know, the civil war wasn't about slavery. It was about economics. Like I was taught that in high school yeah. in the eighties and I, you know, so so what I started thinking about is like, what is mine to say? What's on my side of the street to say? Um, what is, would be honest for me to say? And, uh, and your blind spots maybe too about things well, you didn't even realize. Exactly. So, um, I started thinking about lace as a, as a metaphor for what I wanted to say. So lace as, uh, a symbol for Southern hospitality, for graciousness, for, decoration and how it kind of like formalizes things and makes everything pretty, but it also, uh, you can see through it and how it covers up things that you don't want to see or think about. And I think it's like a, it, to me, it just, it came to me as like a, just a perfect metaphor for that culture, how it was and how it still is. Mm. Um, so yeah, you talk about in your statement, about this work on your website, about just growing up and, you know, wanting to see, be seen as beautiful and mm-hmm. perfect and kind of just the adoration and all of all yes. that. And I, my mother made, made lace dress, dresses for me, which I wore every Sunday to church. And I remember her sewing them. And I remember other, my other friends' mothers sewing theirs. And we would all show up on Sunday at church in these dresses. And I remember walking into the church and all the people fussing over me and fussing over the other little girls. And it felt like there was a weird conflictual thing that it set up where I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I liked being considered pretty, but also it was also felt like a cage, you know? Mm. Um, I was happy to be in that cage I don't even know if I knew it was a cage until I knew it was a cage. Yeah. Um, and that's what's interesting to me is how quietly and smoothly and with much, quote, grace, that 
environment can be made for girls and women so that you don't even know that you're participating in a system. And I didn't know I was participating in a system until... Yeah, when did you first start questioning these systems, you know? I think I always question it in a very, not a rigorous way. I mean, I think I was always... um, But I I think Trump being elected ripped it all off, right? So Mm. I think there wasn't... I didn't understand my privilege. I didn't even think about it in those terms. I think racism is complicated because it became a word that you stood outside of. And so it's like, it's like a very binary word where it's so, so bad. Right. And so it's so, so bad that you're on the, you're an exception to it. And so I feel like we were all like lulled into thinking uh, we were kind of post racism and we were the exception to that bad thing over there. Yeah. Which creates a system of not looking at it, not having to think about it. Yeah, it's like who would voluntarily attach that to to themselves or say that's what I am. Exactly. Outwardly. Exactly. And so it just um, allows you to just keep going with all the things that you're doing without putting yourself within that system, which we all are in, all of us. So Yeah, it's like you don't have to say you're racist, but you might be supporting a whole system that oppresses people in some way. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, I've realized that and felt the waking up of that or the shame of that, which I think is a very layered process. I don't think like when we talk about being, quote, woke, I don't think it's something that happens to you. I think it's something that you're always working on mm. and that you're always, like, maybe fumbling through. And yeah. I think I think it's important that we continue to fumble through or we'll stop talking about it again because it's going to be awkward. It's always going to be awkward and messy, right? Yeah. So, um, so that that was one piece of it, the lace and as a metaphor for this system, right? And then the other piece was just me as a Southern woman who's always painted these portraits, right? And growing up in uh, where people need that portrait to be a certain way or to be pretty in a certain way or... Or um, having a portrait mean something about you. Having portrait mean something about you. Does it go with your house? Does it go with your couch? You know, and all those things um, that I uh, have been doing since I was in high school um, and enjoy doing. Like, I enjoy doing it. But it's also, again, it's similar to the lace. It's like, it's like, it also can be a cage. Um, I enjoyed kind of using the ideas of like beauty and decoration and southern decoration in particular and like I sewed all throughout my high school so I made all my prom dresses and I went to high school in the 80s so all these ridiculous 80s ruffled prom dresses right that I made yeah um (laughs) so I enjoyed kind of going back to that and incorporating my sewing and Mm. ruffles and all of that as a way of layering that onto this conversation that I'm having. Yeah. I enjoyed um, very much using things that I'm kind of embarrassed by mm. as a way to talk about something that I think is important. Um, and I'm actually finding that really, I'm just finding that really interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah, talk more about that. It's like, I guess, vulnerability is what you're talking about. Vulnerability, but also just, um, I think there can be a um, pressure to be 
for things not to be pretty, right? Or for things not to be decorative or attractive. And um, I think particularly as a blonde woman from Mississippi, I've, I've caught people. Uh, I mean, I, f- I feel people making assumptions about me, you know, yeah. in that way. Sometimes I feel like I want to prove them wrong by not um, living into that. But I actually think it's much more interesting to live into it so hard. <laughs> live into it so hard. <laughs> That's a good know? phrase. Yeah. So that it that it's almost like alchemy, you know, like transmogrify mm. that shit, you know, just change it, just yeah. jump over it. Um, cause it's, there's pleasure for me in that and that's okay. You know, like I like, I like ruffles. I like pink. I like, you know, I am blonde and there's nothing I can do about it, you know, and why, you know, so I, I like incorporating all of those elements that can be seen as problematic or like not cool, you know, not cool to be, to talk about being about prettiness or ruffles or proms or Mississippi or Southern decoration and employ those in a conversation that's difficult about systemic racism and growing up in that way yeah. and, and being not awake to myself as a girl or a woman about my part in it. That's interesting to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely want to talk more about that, but I was just kind of thinking maybe we could touch on a little bit previous to two years ago, mm-hmm. you know, your work, it was mostly just portraits and it was in uh-huh. a box, right? right? I mean, it's the square and now you've totally broken out of that. But I mean, yeah. like what, what were all those years like for you doing commissions? And I mean, you were still seeking something or wanting to express something, right? Yeah. I feel like the, the thing I even have, like it written in my wall over there, the thing that has always been interesting to me and probably I hope I imagine will always be interesting to me is uh, the inner psychology of whoever I'm working on, you know? So I'm so interested in how paint or the process of painting someone can convey something that's not available, readily available, that person's interior life, what Mm. they, the, the time that we've had together, the, feelings that I have about them or they have about me, the interaction, the space between and being able to kind of get that across is always something I'm very interested in. And I think it's what makes any figurative work interesting is that it's not just a likeness or a not a likeness, but it's a spirit or something. I don't know what an essence, something else that you, that you can't put into words necessarily. Yeah, you said something in your uh, the artist talk you did for your show a couple of years ago. You said something about being an emotional journalist looking for truth. <laughs> I don't remember saying that. But yeah. That, yeah, I think that's emotional journalist. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, I think it's true. Um, and you like, I mean, you like to tell a story. I like I mean, to, tell a, to story. tell a story. I like to tell a story. And so I think generally a story of any person has um, light and darkness, you know, and I've always been interested in how those play out together and how you can't separate those in a person. And so that, I think that aspect continues in my work. Um, also color as as emotion. I mean, color, I feel like when I'm painting, that's the closest I get to meditation in my life. It feels like a meditation and my brain stops thinking and, um, there are 
moments in my process where I feel the choices of color are something that I'm not even really in charge of anymore. And they happen. And that Mm. that's when I, that's when I love it the most. Yeah. It's hard to, I don't even know how to talk about it really, but that's so interesting to me. It's it's like a flow state. I mean, that's kind of what people talk about. And I think color has a, I think it has an emotional resonance or it can the application of it and the hue of it. So those things are unchanged. I feel like in my work, my being interested in figurative work, the inner life of that figure and color as emotion are things that continue no matter how I'm going about the conversation. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so sometimes you do a portrait, like you're saying, you've kind of been in this state of not necessarily being totally conscious of your choices, maybe, or why you picked a certain color. And then maybe when it's done, you're looking at it and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Well, how did that happen? Like, why yeah. did I put that purple there or something? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Mm. And you don't know where that comes from. There's no telling, huh? I mean, lots of, lots of time of working with yeah. color throughout my life. You know, I had a teacher in high school who was way into color theory and way into a restricted palette. Oh. Which I still have. Like, she believed in one white, two yellows, two reds, and two blues. And that's all I've had for all these years. I just, I've recently added black back in. Because all these years where people said, you can't use black. And I'm like, why? Why can I not use black? So I started <laughs> using black. And I started using Japanese squashes with those that fluorescent pink. And I've added that to my palette. But it's basically... White, two yellows, two reds, and two blues. That's I never it. would have guessed that. I love to mix. I'm a, like a mixer, mixer, mixer. Wow. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to not give yourself a lot and see how much you can come get out of it. It's just a fun, you know, boundary, I guess. It's just not being a painter. That's just something I never would have even considered that you wouldn't just have tubes of every tubes color. Of, and, and a lot of people do. I mean, I think. I don't even know, actually. But I think most people do. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think that does for you, having that limited, those limited colors to work from and then actually having to create every single color that you want? It feels like um, part of the process of seeing it harder, you know? So, like, if you're trying to get this certain hue and you have to work towards that with that restriction, it makes you have to figure it out. You have to, you know? Mm -hmm. And all of that figuring out of that hue teaches you something about color in general. And you have to really want it you have to if you're really going to put all that work into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I like that. It's just fun. I just think that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a hard and fast rule. I could change it tomorrow, but I like it. Do you have any other rules or procedures around mm. painting itself or mm. kind of little habits or? Little habits. Um, or preparations or thoughts or mantras? Or? Uh, I mean, I, I draw with the paint. I, don't, I used to draw with a pencil and now I just draw with the paint. I go straight on there with the color. I like s- stiff brushes. I like to I like to not add water and see how what a stiff brush will do texturally. Hmm. But um, I, don't, I don't know if I have any other rules exactly. Yeah, I think you know. As far as the process of laying marks down on canvas, I'm all, I feel like I'm always trying to break whatever rules I have in my head or whatever I'm way in which you put the paint on like I'm always trying to work on that or change that or push that Mm. just keep it interesting yeah 
how would you describe your style of painting portraits back, you know, whenever you said you started from high school till now? Like, how has it evolved? It's changed a lot because I started with, I was a watercolorist. My mother was really into watercolor and these watercolor societies, which I still don't know what that's about. But she was all about that. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that. Uh, so they were very loose and watercolory, you know, um, not no texture, no thickness. Um, but I was doing people back then. And then when I went to college, I went to university of Virginia. I, uh, that has a very conservative art department. And so it's all about realism and no conceptual thoughts at all. And no, what are you going to do after you graduate? Hmm conversations yeah. either wow. um but uh it changed it might you know I, I think things got a lot tighter then and i was trying really hard to you know i want to paint this picture that's silver with all the reflections of the room in it, and i want to do that you know and yeah. so i was working and figuring things out in college and like how to get tight and how to make things look real and and then now now i feel like i'm unraveling again mm. yeah so that's fun too it's fun to use both my last show was kind of what I was talking about there. And it's like being super tight and super careful and letting it rip and not being careful. And maybe simpler, simpler communicating more with less. Yes. Yes. Well, let's get back to your current work then. Okay. Or maybe I'll just ask you about a few things, a few other things that I kind of picked up while I was doing some research about you, you were talking about, and you've touched on this a little bit, just like how in your life to stay wide awake. Hmm. Gosh, that's interesting. How do you think about that? I mean, just the way you approach your life. Well, you you know, know, I think it's interesting because that's from our talk earlier. I imagine my saying that, Yeah. which was all before Trump got elected. And in other words, there were things I was asleep to when I was saying that. I mean, there's, yeah, there were things I was asleep to that I wasn't aware I was asleep to. So, you know, I think being open and awake to things is, like I said, it's like an onion or something. Or I I was saying to somebody the other day, how do you feel about this new work? And I said, I feel like I stepped into a landscape that I've never stepped into before. And it's bigger than I thought. And I just keep walking into it and Mm. it's bigger and bigger and it keeps going. And I think that's part of what it is to be awake. But also, I think at that time I was... When I was talking about that with you before, I was talking about just trying to walk into every situation relationally with people or going somewhere or doing something and just being present and open to them to see what comes at you. Trying to be just awake to the present tense and awake to the person in front of you, I think is what I was talking about with you before. Yeah. Or just being open to connecting with them or... Yes. Or searching for beauty. Yes. Or love or whatever it is in others, right? Yes. Not having an idea about what that is or where it's going to come from, you know? So it's interesting to the way you're describing it. It's almost like everything that you're saying, it was already there. You just didn't see it. Or you're like being more awake, seeing more or... Yeah, I think everything is always already there, right? Everything's here, right? Everything's here in the world. And it's, it's a decision what you focus on or what you're open to. So yeah, I feel, I feel that part of my privilege that I was not aware of, uh, I mean, I was aware of the culture I grew up in, but I was unaware of the cost for other people and also, um, unaware of the cost for, for me, you know? So I think when you're raised in a culture like that, you 
have definitions for yourself that feel very comfortable and safe and you're not even really aware of that. And so you start thinking, like, well, why am I telling myself these things about myself that are not? Why is that true? Why does yeah. that have to be true? You know, and it started seeing, seeming like a an impoverished narrative or like a small narrative that I wanted to step outside of. And I feel like back to the onion thing, I feel like every time I step outside of a story I'm telling about myself, I see an, another story like the mm. landscape. So it just feels like that right now. And I'm trying to keep honoring that. So this show is really about that girl, me and the woman I am and trying to, step into that and keep stepping into it yeah was there a moment where you decided to commit to creating all this work for this show where you kind of was like okay this is going to be a departure from what i've done before different materials Mm -hmm. the scale the new techniques i mean what was that was there a moment or was it just kind of you gradually i was i started journaling and writing it down I, i had um I had been wanting to do lace, uh, like I had been wanting to make plexiglass look like lace for a long time. And I I had pictures in my, in these books about it. It's funny to go back through and look at all the iterations. Um, and I had, um, I don't know when the Kanye piece came, came to me. It was like, uh, I think I was at a concert and I thought to myself, this feels like worship or it feels like an altar to me in a way. Mm. So I had this idea of, of putting all my son and his friends in this Van Der Vaden descent from the cross pose. And I had in my mind the rays behind it, like Bernini like rays um, and the clouds. I, I was, I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. But then it was just about um, making it happen, yeah, which the is execution. The execution was intense. Yeah. You know, it's like one thing to say in your head, Oh, I want to do that and then do it, you know? Um, cause that was a lot that it's 10 feet, 10 feet of plexi, having it routed, having it mounted. Um, so this is the ultralight beam piece. Like maybe mm-hmm. just describe that for someone that hasn't seen it. Um, it is, uh, it I is, I mean, you have a little bit, but you know. yeah, so it's an eight, eight foot by 10 foot figurative painting of my son, Henry, who's 16 and all his friends in the almost exact poses of van der Vaden's descent from the cross. So I had them pose for me. Uh, I took lots of pictures. I painted that painting. Uh, then I cut it out and made it into a giant pillow basically. And then I, I painted Kanye at a concert and I cut him out and made him into a giant pillow. And then I made all these clouds, these blue glitter clouds and stuffed them. And then I took yellow mirrored plexi and made rays inspired by Bernini's um, Ghent altarpiece or like Bernini's ecstasy of St. Teresa and just made this basically this altar that's part plexiglass sun rays and part pillowed figurative painting. And so this that piece is uh, as you say an altar to and against boys right? Yeah. Like what does that mean? Because this is definitely a conversation that I'm interested in okay. having. Okay. I, I know you are too. Obviously okay. you did that, right? Yeah. So two and against boys. So um, for me, it um, what I'm aware of as a mother of, of Henry and all his friends and the boys around him 
is that it's this constant tension of having faith in who he is and all that he can be, which is a a larger picture faith. It's uh, holding um, the sweetness that he was as a boy to his uh, reserve and irritability now to what he might be later and kind of holding the space for that possibility while also being um, disappointed constantly and and also aware of uh, the ways in which uh, if he steps walks towards me slightly and does a small good thing that I over praise him or I get over excited about it so I catch myself treating him differently than my daughter Hmm. I I catch myself having lower expectations for him, right? Um, So what I think is interesting is that culturally we have these ridiculously high expectations of men. They need to do everything. They need to be strong. They need to make money. They need to be powerful. They need to be sexual. Um, Don't cry. (laughs) And then at the same time we, yeah, don't cry, but then cry a little bit maybe, you know, in my arms, you know, like be sensitive and, uh, take the diapers out and wake up with the baby and make, you know, all these things that, um, I'm not saying, I'm not saying like I, I mean, I'm a feminist at the end of the day. So, but I think it's all related. I guess what I'm saying is in order for feminism to be true, powerful and great, it has to bring men along. Men are part of this whole culture and we're responsible for making it work for them or not. I'm not saying I like feel sorry for anybody necessarily. I'm just noticing that there's too much expected of men and then also simultaneously not enough expected. And I catch myself uh, when I'm not expecting enough from Henry, when he does these little things that if Alabel did them, I wouldn't even notice. And I get all excited. So there's this infantilizing aspect to it. Um, and then you're wondering, what are the implications for him as an, an adult? Right. And his relationships in the future. And right. how does he fit into society with women and other men? And yes. what's expected of him? And yeah. Yes. So um, I, felt, uh, I felt like Kanye represented that uh, juxtaposition as well. Um, I mean, not only does Henry like to go to rap concerts and he does like Kanye. And then I think culturally we, Kanye and the Kardashians have taught us to, to, to worship celebrity, right? So there's all of that, which leads to Trump, leads to the culture we're in. But I think Kanye as a person and as an artist represents that also. He, like I was saying earlier, he is a prophet. He is a brilliant artist. He also, he shows us in his songs with, I think so viscerally, he shows us what mental illness feels like. The Mm -hmm. way he sings about it is so moving to me. And then that said, he's also deeply problematic, deeply undermining of our, of what good can be done in the world today for, you know, a lot of things. And his alignment with Trump is problematic, deeply problematic. So, but yeah. I don't think you can take one without the other. And I think much has been written about this. And and so I think all of these things are about things not being um, binary or, you know, not, you know, there's no duality there. Kanye is all of those things and they're held together. Raising Henry is all of those things and they're held together. Henry is all of those things and they're held together. And so I, these are all these things I'm thinking about all the time. Yeah. And for some reason, like, this is how I wanted to express it. Yeah. 
So you're looking at your relationship with your son and trying to figure out why you treat him a certain way and where does that come from? And then he has these role models that are giving him these different messages and Mm -hmm. maybe he's getting other messages from all this other social media and from his friends. And yes, I feel like I'm so, I feel like I'm so simultaneously hard on men and then let them off the hook too Mm. quickly all at the same time. And that's interesting to me. So I'm just trying to look at that. Like, what is that about? I don't have an answer, but I'm working on it. I hesitate to even say this, but I just, I feel like, I mean, I feel like you in a lot of ways too, where it's like, what am I blind to that? I don't even realize. And I try to be very sensitive and aware of my own privilege and what I don't know that I don't know. And I don't even want to complain, but I don't, I don't want to make it sound like a complaint, but it's just like, yeah, when I can't imagine like a young man, like your son coming up and then there's like feminism, there's the me too movement, there's the kind of anti patriarchy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to know where to fit in or how to be yes. with women sometimes. Yes. Or, I mean, I don't feel like I'm that confused about it. I feel like I just try to be a good the- thoughtful person. Right. And, I mean, I think at the know. end of the day, it's super simple. But then I think when we talk about it, it gets really complicated. That's that's why I'm trying not to complicate it by talking about it. Yeah. I I feel like it is, Um, it's not hard for me to relate to people in a positive way, but there are a lot of confusing messages and pressures and misconceptions and judgments and all kinds of things to deal with. Yeah. So I just wanted to look at my, my role in that as a, as a woman and as a mother. And what are you learning, if anything, or what have you changed? Or Well, I try to catch myself when I have those low expectations or when I get overexcited about them doing something yeah. small. Um, that's one thing. Um, Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's because man is other to me in a, in a basic way. I mean, maybe that's not true for a lot of people, but for me, I don't know if I'll ever understand a man's brain exactly. And maybe... Maybe I'm just always trying to bridge that in a way that's a little too, um, it can maybe feel condescending or something, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, I, I just, I think as a woman, I, I mean, I have to be honest, like, I just think it's conflictual. Like I want to have someone be very sensitive to my needs, but I also want to be kind of overpowered at times, mm. you know, and, uh, there's no roadmap for that. Yeah. So I think I struggle with this too, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm sure she's probably going to hear this, but you know, like I feel like growing up, my mom was very negative about men. Mm -hmm. She was always like talking about men or womenizers and this and that. It's always about like taking advantage of women or Mm -hmm. compensating for something. And I feel like I just unconsciously made a decision. Like I never want to be the type of guy that she hates that she talks about. So I'm going to be on the opposite end. Right. And I'm going to be, so extra careful and considerate and attuned to women, to her and to other women. And I feel like it's only just recently in my forties that I've actually felt a little bit more courage and confidence and just trying to like tap more into my masculinity and, and, and not be so afraid to express that because I feel like, I mean, I feel like so many times I was just so afraid to be like the guy that would that was like trying to kiss a woman that didn't want to be kissed and I would just get slapped. Yeah. I mean, that was like my worst nightmare Yeah, yeah, yeah. in relating to another woman that I was interested in. So that's like so many times where I just never did anything right. out of just to be safe. Yeah. And I feel like 
and then it just makes you wonder like when you feel you know you have a a woman that you're interested in or that you're dating and you feel that passion and you just like you feel that something driving you and it just like you ha- I sometimes I feel like I have to second guess okay or all the you know is it do I have to ask something is it obvious that this is what this person wants okay I'll ask them you know is what's this moment going to be like yeah. I don't know maybe I'm going too much into this stuff but <laughs> no it's interesting uh, I think it's interesting I'm trying interesting. to be more open about myself on the yeah. podcast no but. that's good I think it's interesting because I think um I think the whole conversation around consent is interesting because um I think on one hand we we want we want enthusiastic consent. I mean, I think that's pretty universal. I think we want enthusiastic consent, and yeah. and um, but you know, sometimes maybe you just want to be overtaken. Like if it, well, that's and, what I'm talking about, and, and so, I, I never feel. I, it's like hard it, to ever feel confident that you know is not that always careful, right? Is okay. Yeah, yeah that's it, what I'm saying. Yeah, the passion. Hard. Passion is not careful. It's tricky, but I think. I think. That at the end of the day, God, we know, right? Don't we? Don't we know when someone yeah. is participating yeah. with, you know, with the right energy? You know, you know when you're, I think so. I yeah. don't know. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, maybe, um, maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing some stories of some of the other pieces and the mm. origins of the people. Okay. And those and how those kind of fit into kind of like your overall so, narrative. Okay. So like I started thinking about um, like the neon is representative of lace unraveling. And so, and also I was trying to figure out how they could almost be like icons or, um, you know, portraits first, but then also like, are they wearing a bonnet? Like I always had to wear bonnets. I wore bonnets. So, you know, are they wearing a bonnet? Definitely not. Can we destroy the bonnet? <laughs> um, are they wearing a halo? Um, so playing with the idea of the Easter bonnet, the little girl in a bonnet, which probably nobody, I mean, honestly, probably nobody even knows what I'm talking about when I say that because yeah. who wears bonnets? But yeah. I'm telling you, I had to wear bonnets and I still have them all. I thought about using oh, them wow. for my show, but <laughs> and I put them down. But <laughs> anyway, um, so playing with the idea of bonnet and halo, but unraveling that. And then I had all my subject matter are women in my life, girls, young, I mean, you know, young women in my life who are very, I find very inspiring, very powerful, mm. who are going through various things that I have a lot of respect for. Um, so it's me trying to juxtapo- juxtapose like a girl or a young woman who is very different from me and has very, it does not have the culture that I had and um, kind of embracing them is kind of like, I feel like the whole thing is a conversation with myself as a girl and I'm trying to recreate this conversation of what I'm thinking about now and what I wasn't thinking about then. And if like, can I, can I have that conversation again? Like magic. I can't have it, but can I pretend to have it? You know? And so the plexiglass is also again, um, kind of a lace surround of, um, a young girl who is kind of a stand-in as me, as a little girl. Mm. And then a friend of my daughter's, TK, who uh, was in her art class at high school. She's kind of a stand-in of uh, the conversation I wasn't having that I would like to have, that I didn't have. And um, the frames around them are like glitter, plexiglass, and cut out to look like 
kind of stylized lace. And then the there's a painting of a ruby with a pink champagne with kind of a city growing out of it. And then there's a painting of my son in camouflage hunting. And both of those are made into pillows with ruffles. And um, so I'm kind of like they're playing with the idea of Southern decoration and uh, interior decoration and how important that is in the South. But taking these uh, portraits and like recontextualizing them that, that way. So the you know, the portrait of Henry is fraught for me because he's, um, was this little boy that was so afraid of hunting. And one time accidentally BB gunned a frog and that was just a a day of sadness. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, and then one day he turned around and, um, wanted to go hunting, um, a year ago. And so he did. And that, uh, he went with my dad in Mississippi and my brother took that picture of him and I think the trip was, um, he enjoyed hunting in a lot of ways, but there were aspects to the culture that were problematic or hard for him. And so, again, it's the tension of all these different things being held together and then like me making this like very feminine, girly, mm-hmm. giant pillow out of it. And also like the way they start to feel like instead of being deer on the wall, they're like trof- they're my trophies on the wall. Hmm. It's like my trophy room. Or my uh, Chris, my assistant, said she feels like I'm creating a padded cell um, wow. of uh, protecting my mental state from Southern culture, and which I thought oh. was so interesting. Yeah, um, I I don't think I th- thought that. I mean, I I thought other ways about it, but I think that's apt, you know, I think it's fantastic that she said that. Mm-hmm. So let's see, those are the pillows and the plexi. And then there, there's two, <laughs> we could say regular paintings. There are two paintings still on the stretchers of my daughter. And, um, those are, uh, interesting to me because it was a summer, two summers ago in Vermont where she was scouted by um, a Vogue photographer and signed at an agency in New York. And so she was going to model, right? Mm-hmm. I was excited about her doing this. There was a lot of energy around, like from my mother and from friends of mine about how we needed to protect her and how it's such yeah. a gross world. And so there was all this energy at first that went into like talking about what that world is and keeping your head on straight and not being swept away by it and all that. Then we went into these different cast calls she had in New York for fashion week and they were all of them were, she didn't get called back. So they were all negative. So then there was all this, then I started kind of going into this like motherly mode of protecting her, um, wanting to protect herself. And I knew she didn't want to fail. And I knew she, that that must've hurt. And, um, I was trying to trying to talk her through that, and in my mind, I thought I was doing this great service to her, that I was helping her process yeah. this whole thing. And it took me a long time, uh, maybe a year and a half, to figure out that honestly, what I was doing to her is exactly what this show is about. <laughs> like I was, I was gonna, I was. <laughs> In my own head, thinking I was being such a sensitive mother, right? And Mm. I was walking her through this. At the end of the day, I thought, wow, modeling is amazing. And we're going to go to Milan and Paris. And I was thinking all this 
bullshit mm-hmm. that I just thought it'd be fun. I just thought it'd be a great opportunity, but I was putting that on her and it took me a year and a half to realize that doesn't matter all the machinations of my brain or however I'm trying to say that like all the ways in which I was legitimizing how I was mothering her at the end of the day, she did not want to be looked at. Period. Mm. She is not interested in being looked at. She does not like to be gazed upon. Yeah. And the summer that all of this was going down is the summer that I asked for those photographs. So like she was posing for me for those paintings. And there was a lot, all, all of that stuff that I just told you is in that. And Mm. she didn't want to pose for me. Usually she's down with, but she, there was a lot of what's, what am I trying to say? She was, very um resistant resistant thank you she was very resistant to posing for me and um i pretty much had to make her do it and she was not into it and so i like in a way (laughs) that i have these paintings from that time because it's a reminder again of like you can think you're being awake and you can think you're walking through this world with your eyes wide open you can think you're mothering someone well and i I was driving her crazy. I mm. was putting that on her and she, it's the last thing she's interested in is being looked at in any, it's just, yeah. she just doesn't want to be. How is this related? I wonder just to cause kind of your own struggle and conflict with beauty. And you were talking about mm. going to church and being adored and all yeah. that stuff. I know? think it's really funny too, to have all of that pressure to be, if you want to call it worshipped or adored, let's use the word adored, to be adored as a little girl, as a pretty little girl in the context of worshiping, like in the context of church. So like that adoration within the adoration is really Mm. weird to me. It's really complicated. It's connected. Isn't modeling a form of adoration within celebrity, within kind of consumer culture too. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think I'm not denigrating it. I'm not saying like, I certainly don't want to be sour grapes. Like there are people who do it. I have a friend whose daughter's doing it and she's doing it in such a powerful way, you know? Yeah. So it can be done. It can be done. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Um, you know, blanket statement, something wrong with it there. That's not true. But, um, just in my personal, like that very personal experience mm-hmm. with my daughter, I thought I was, I thought I was, uh, what am I, how, I thought I was being her steward. Yeah. And I was being, I was not helping. I was putting Please. pressure on her that I, you know, so, but the paintings I think are more meaningful to me because it's just, I can look at those and say, just remember, <laughs> yeah, remember. And it, you know, now that all that, like she loves, you know, I think a painting is very different. So, I mean, now that we are here standing now and she's doing what she wants to do and I'm so grateful, um, she can look at that. And I, I think it's very um, different from the, uh, the, you know, modeling and that kind of gaze. It's a very different um, experience. Yeah. And I, I think she, she paints too. So I think she's, she doesn't mind that at all. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about, you said you wanted to talk about the sweets table that was at your uh-huh. opening and uh-huh. kind of, you know, the words that were on the pieces of cake and then the wax, the meaning of the wax tablecloth. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So, um, the wax, uh, resist fabric is, um, today we, we look at it and we, we think, um, African, right? So we, and it's used by Kehinde and it's used by a lot of, 
um, African-American artists to convey that. And it's, it's prevalent in, in Ghana and in uh, Senegal and um, as a as fabric that people make outfits out of and fashion out of that represents stories in their lives. This, the things on the fabric mean things about those communities. And so it's come to symbolize today, like what we would think of as like West African identity, say, right? Um, like a quilt almost. Maybe. Yes. But what, then so when, when I started researching it, I realized that first it was Indonesian, um, or it was prevalently Indonesian. And then the Dutch went over in 1850 and industrialized it. So they opened these factories and started making it instead of it being like handmade batik from Indonesia. They were, they in, industrialized yeah. it and made it. And then also like, wax resist fabric, like you can find it in Egypt and mummies and stuff. So it actually goes back even further than Indonesia, but we didn't, yeah. we don't know that. Yeah. And then, um, and then the Dutch tried to sell it to Indonesia, and the Indonesians weren't, they just didn't like it stylistically. They didn't like, they liked their handmade wax resist, and they liked the way it smelled and all these different things about the way they were doing it. So, it, But when they were, I don't know if it was on the trade route, or if I don't know how it came to be, but it was very popular in particularly Ghana and other countries in West Africa. And um, so then the Dutch started making factories, you know, sprouted up in Africa, but also the Dutch started asking these communities, like, what, you know, what do you want on the fabric? And then they started, you know, so it became this collaborative thing where the symbols started being about these African communities and what they wanted to convey. So what I like about that fabric is that it is like it, it like lace is a symbol of the complexity of that entire system and about what it means to appropriate, you know, and we, we talk about appropriation a lot. And I think it's a pretty complicated thing. And it's a conversation that there are no easy answers to. Right. So I like the idea of taking this um, fabric that stands for African power, but has this very complicated past and making this roughly tablecloth to put my um, these petty fours on top of and the petty fours all have different words that my mother used to kind of describe what she wanted me to be mm. and soft being top of the list okay <laughs> soft is a big one <laughs> okay <laughs> she always says things are when I'm being soft um, which I never was so um she says I was. But anyway. Like that's a positive thing being soft? So it's so positive. Okay. It is so okay. positive okay. to her. <laughs> this is like feminine? Is that like, Yes, like okay. feminine, which is another one of the words. Yeah. So all these different words, um, soft-spoken and um, discreet and um, poised, ladylike. <laughs> poised, ladylike. Um, so I like the I like creating this kind of like southern buffet of sweets with things that my mother said that mm. um on this fabric of yeah. that represents like basically like the so-called grace and gentility on top of what it's on top of that was all this grace and gentility and all this politeness and all this beauty that was made possible by slavery. So mm. yeah. What about the piece that's across from the ultralight beam? Sam. Sam is everything. Yeah. <laughs> Sam is a, he was, he's not there anymore, but he's a um, checkout guy at Whole Foods. 
And every time, he always had different color hair, sometimes rainbow, sometimes blue, sometimes pink and blue. And very affable guy, always always made being there better, right? And I just like would notice that um, depending on my day or what was going on with me, if I was open to uh, my life in the moment and open to him, that we would have all these amazing conversations and he would, we would have this connection that felt very expansive. And um, if I was not paying attention or I was grumpy or I had something going on, then um, it's almost like that just wasn't available to me, but it was all on me. And I realized like everything always is, right? So it's whatever you bring to whatever your experience is, is what you're going to get back. And Sam, he just represents that. Again, it's like another reminder. Mm. Um, He represents that my, uh, my willingness to show up for my life is on me. And Sam is always there being awesome, you know, and do I want to show up for that or do I not, you know? And so I, I wanted to honor him and I wanted to honor that desire to show up for myself and for my life and then just make it like a little bit absurd, you know, just big and the rainbow and the flowers everywhere. And then the lace, like, I feel like the flowers are kind of like a way of being lacy. And I like how it got very textural down there um, at the bottom. Anyway, that's that. (laughs) Well, just, yeah, as you were talking, I'm just thinking about like, yeah, you not seems like it's like you created this whole show about you for you. (laughs) Yeah. Therapy. And it's Art out is, in the it open is therapy. for everyone to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just doing it is like keeps keeps you going, keeps you alive. Yeah. So. Um, and what about just the privilege of being able to do that at all? Oh my god. Yeah. Talk about being willing to show up for yourself. I mean, I am privileged that I get to come into the studio every day and paint. I'm privileged that I'm married to a lawyer who pays the bills. And I'm aware of that, but also I'm aware that if I'm too aware of that, it is paralyzing. Mm. So if I sit around all day and think about how privileged I am, then you want to have the hold the responsibility of that privilege perfectly or well, then you kind of won't do it or I won't do it. So I, I've had to really talk myself into being playful and irresponsible even, mm. um, you know. Uh, to just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird dance of like being playful, but also being ambitious, being rigorous, but also not caring. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, maybe elaborate <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it kind of does. Know. But. I mean, I think, you know, I think part that probably harkens back to my past too, because I'm just, there's, you know, I'm like a protestant from mississippi so there's a lot of there's always going to be a lot of guilt there right Mm. there's always going to be this work ethic um so i think i i think i can i think the way i the way i am emotionally i can get so wrapped up in how lucky i am that i it's not helpful to me as a producer of work so um just have to loosen up i just have to loosen up and um because, you know, even it doesn't, it sort of doesn't matter what your situation, I mean, it does matter what your situation is, but at the end of the day, when you're in here every day, just making stuff like that, it's scary, you know, it can be really scary to do it. So you have to give yourself a really, a lot, a lot of permission mm. to do it. 
Maybe that's where I am because I, you know, it's like I've been talking about this on a few episodes and I have some work that I want to create. Uh-huh. And it's like maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just not giving myself permission to do it because I, f- I feel I haven't done anything. Right. <laughs> and I feel all this resistance to doing yeah. anything. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And so I just kind of make myself um, come out and do one little tiny thing at a time. You know, and then until it's there. If I overthink it, though, I'll talk myself out of it. So I just have to kind of come out here and start. Or as I feel like somebody said, just go sharpen pencils. If you can't do anything else, just go in your studio and sharpen pencils. (laughs) (laughs) At least you're there in the proximity of uh, potential. Yeah. Hmm. One small step. Every day. Every day is a struggle or? I mean, I know that sounds so self-indulgent, but damn it, it's true. It's true. It yeah. is. It is a struggle. Fighting against yourself. Fighting against yourself and all the self-talk and all the ways in which you can get up every day and say, who cares? Nobody, you know, yeah. <laughs> why should I care? Why do you care? Like, why does it matter? Why do, do I do it? You know, when all these things are happening in the world that are so terrible, mm-hmm. what is it that you're doing that adds or detracts from that? You know, yeah. Nathaniel says, you know, what you're doing is no better or worse than what anyone else is doing. It's <laughs> <So, laughs> a good baseline. It's <laughs> a good baseline. I mean, you know, it's like you don't have to be, you don't have to, you're not special, but you're not not special either. You know, you're just, you're just doing it and it's okay. <laughs> so. yeah. You made a comment um, somewhere, I'm not sure in my research, you were talking about just, I think about being a painter and Three elements being focus, discipline, and abandon. Huh. Focus, discipline, and abandon. Well, I think the abandon harkens back to what we were talking earlier about playfulness and just letting it go and being willing to be stupid and reckless and dumb, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Abandon. So that's what that is. But um, focus, and what was the other? Discipline. Discipline. Those are the same, really, don't you think? Sort of. Um, It's like sharpening pencils, right? You just go in the studio every day, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Believing that, you know. I think think in a lot of ways, this whole story is about how um, I grew up in a culture that didn't take me very seriously, and I therefore did not take myself very seriously, and I didn't realize that I was doing it until not that long ago, Mm. you know? And so I think the focus and the discipline comes when you believe in yourself and that you're here to do what you're here to do. And I don't know why it was so hard. I think there are plenty of people who grew up where I grew up who didn't, you know, we're all different, who didn't fall into that or didn't. But I think I was just kind of, um, Going long. I, I think I was, you know, I was always painting. It wasn't that I was lazy or I wasn't doing my stuff. I just wasn't. I think in my own ways, I was keeping things smooth and polite. Mm, and soft, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> yeah, my own soft, my own soft agenda. <laughs> what does it look like to take yourself more serious going forward then? What does um, that look like? I think um, just uh, less apologetic. Uh, more willing to be mad, um, more willing to keep walking into things that seem hard and just keep trying, keep doing the things that seem hard or out of reach. Um, just keep reaching for them. Keep questioning things that I'm saying about myself, like who I am, and keep 
asking stories. Myself, yeah, yeah, keep questioning my stories that I tell myself that I am. Or limiting beliefs. Yes. So, I think, uh, yeah. Well, we could end it there. I do have this one question that I do ask some people. Okay. You know, what would you want to share with your kids if you knew that you weren't going to go forward with them in their lives? Like, what would be the, like the one thing or a couple things that you just wanted to impress upon them so that they could take on within their life that you would feel like is the most important thing to keep in mind? Oh, wow. I know, it's kind of a big question. It is a but. big question. I keep saying, because I heard it from... Some somebody on a podcast, I think that like, we're just, we're all here in these skin bags, you know, and this is all we know. We don't know really what was before and we don't know what's after, but we have this thing right now in these skin bags. Right. And, it, <laughs> and like how amazing that is, how exciting that is, what a responsibility that is, but it's, it's a responsibility, but it's also thrilling, you know, and it's your one opportunity to experience consciousness in this way. And so I think uh, I don't ever want to stop thinking about what that means, you know, and what it means for me and to do as much as I can in this time and whatever that means, like to not have rules about it or limiting stories or. Yeah. Or how, um, to, how to become more oneself or your best possible self. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what that, I mean, I just think that, I think in order to get to that, it takes a lot of um, quiet space where you're uncomfortable you know and I think that is becoming more and more problematic now with everybody with their iPhones and Instagram and everything else there's very little time where we're just um, sitting with ourselves and and being comfortable with sitting with ourselves but that's also the only time where you're gonna start learning who you are so I just think that's the most important thing is to not forsake that chance yeah um i mean it sounds like a little bit like you're talking about meditation even and i feel like sure. we all have a lot of i don't want to speak for everyone but i think a lot of people have a, a lot of resistance to that because of that reason because maybe they don't want to know who they are in the quiet moment of listening yeah. you know yeah but why like I, yeah. that's what i want to know is why is that frightening yeah um because you maybe nothing, won't like I, what you see. You know? So, but if you don't like what you you see, then you have an opportunity to do something about it. Yeah. You know, I think to be afraid afraid of that is just something. I'm not saying I've got it all going on or that I've figured <laughs> it out or anything. I'm I'm bumbling around, but I'm I'm curious yeah. and I want to know and I want to be uncomfortable with myself and with other people. Um, I just think it's interesting. It's marvelous you know yeah. so it's what we have here so i don't know how to convey that to my children i'm always saying stuff like this yeah. to them oh, and nice. driving them crazy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> if any of it's going in we'll yeah. see curiosity yeah that's mm. that's huge so what's next so i mean i'm very excited about the minute i started cutting the boys out and and stuffing that huge piece. I, I, I I'm really into that. So I'm into more cutting paintings out and taking them off the stretchers. I'm into more plexi. And now that I've learned a lot about like plexi construction and stuff, I'm excited about different ways of working with plexiglass. 
Um, and more neon. Excited. I learned mm. a lot from that process. So I, I've got ideas about that. And I liked working with the fringe and the ruffles and fabrics and more fabric, more sewing, more all, more three-dimensional. But maintaining that figurative element mm. and the psychology of that sort of as the center. Yeah, the same themes, the same exploration of ideas. Or? Yeah, because I feel like in a way I'm just I just opened that up in this show, like I just cracked that open, and I got so excited, mm. and was so, having so much fun doing all of that. I think I just need to keep walking further in that direction, yeah, and see what happens. Um, I like using all those things from my past, like I said earlier, of just the things that I thought I, you know weren't a part of this. They weren't a part of my painting, and I like making them a part and. Just where that's going to be headed. Yeah. Well, I think uh, that was great. Okay. Thank you. What do you think? Thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks for thanks for doing Is it. Thanks else for doing this share? for everybody. I mean, oh. thanks for you know, thanks for caring. Thanks mm. for wanting to know why people do make art. You know, yeah. In our in our community in Austin, I think it's really important. Well, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. What did you ask me? Oh, just if there's anything else you wanted to say. Mm. I think that's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thanks. Okay. Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go. If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page, and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care. Take care.